Good morning. Let's open our Bibles together to the book of Colossians, where we have been for quite some time and will continue to be into the new year for a couple months. We are learning so much about the Lord Jesus Christ and uh, who we are in him, that when we come to know him as our Savior and Lord, we are brought to be in union with him. And there is this uh, amazing new identity that we have uh, that we did not possess before we came to faith in Christ. Colossians chapter 2, pick it up in verse 6. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. Yesterday, we hosted our Ohio family Christmas and began the day with a Christmas brunch and then grazed throughout the day on all kinds of bountiful goodies. And there were at least three times during the day I said, I'm full, I think I've had enough. And I stopped for a little while. And isn't that the way it is? We eat and we get full and then we rest in our fullness until we're hungry again. It's almost as if the Apostle Paul is trying really hard to convince the Colossians that they need to recognize that they are always full. That in Christ they are always full. In Christ all of their needs are always met. The fullness that he speaks of in verse 10 flows out of the fullness that we spent last Sunday thinking about. Do you remember the fullness of Christ that we thought about last Sunday morning? Verse 9, for in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And we thought about the fact that the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God who became man, is both fully God and fully man. He is the fullness of deity in bodily form. This is the incarnation. This is the incredible miracle that God became flesh in order that he may manifest the glory of the Father to the world, but also that he would take that physical body to the cross and offer it as the one and only fully acceptable offering for our sin. He was born to die. It's very important for us to always be thinking about the manger in the shadow of the cross to get a full picture of who the Lord Jesus Christ is for us as sinners. 
The Gospel of John spoke of the fullness of Christ in this way in John chapter 1. And the Word became flesh, that is the eternal Word that created the world, that was with the Father and the Spirit from all of eternity. When that Word, the Son of God, became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory... John says, it was glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. For from his fullness, listen, from his fullness, from the fullness of the word who became flesh, We have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So the apostle in verse 9 says, In him that is in Christ is the whole fullness of deity that dwells bodily. And that fullness of Jesus Christ now flows to us. And becomes for us who believe our fullness. From his fullness, John says, we have all received. So since the whole fullness of the Godhead dwells in the God-man, Jesus Christ, we who entrust our souls to him receive the overflow of that fullness. That's what Paul is teaching us here. Now, of course, this does not mean that we become gods. That is a false doctrine taught by the Church of Jesus Christ and the Latter-day Saints, otherwise known as Mormonism, which teaches that we will be gods. That is contrary to what the Bible teaches. We are creatures, and we will always be creatures. There is one preeminent creator. We learned about him In chapter 1. And yet there's a sense in which Paul makes a connection here uh, in verses 9 and 10 that we really must not miss. This whole fullness of deity that dwells in the person of Jesus Christ results in, for those who trust him, a fullness, a completeness. And so in the first part of verse 10, which is going to be our focus this morning, we learn a beautiful truth that is foundational to the joy-filled satisfaction of life, a life of steady faithfulness which results in fruitfulness for Christ. So this is our big idea this morning. The indwelling spirit has filled to full Every true believer. And therefore, by our union with Christ, we stand in spiritual completeness before God. That is the essence of what that first phrase in verse 10 means. That by virtue of our union with Christ, at the moment we get saved... The Holy Spirit places us in union with Jesus Christ. And his death becomes our death. His resurrection becomes our resurrection. His future glory is shared with us as future glory. We are filled to full. That's what that 
phrase means. You have been filled in him. You have been filled to full in him. So it's only those who are in Christ who are filled to full. It's only those who are in union with Christ through repentant faith in Christ as Savior and Lord. That produces a spiritual completeness before God. And that's our new position before God. That's our new standing before God. Uh, The Apostle Paul talks about this in Ephesians chapter 3 when he is telling the Ephesians how he prays for them. That he bows his knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and earth is named. That according to the riches of his glory he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend, listen, with all the saints, what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be, here's the word, filled with all the fullness of God. This is who we are in Christ. Before we knew the Lord, we were empty. When we come to Jesus Christ, recognizing that we are a sinner who can never save ourselves, but we we place ourselves at the foot of the cross and say, God, I am at your mercy. I need your mercy. I need Jesus to save me. We then are placed in union with Jesus. That's our new position before God, a position of completeness whereby we lack nothing. We lack nothing that our soul needs, which is what Psalm 23 teaches us. The Lord is my shepherd. There is nothing more I need. The Lord Jesus meets every need that we have. Now this morning, my goal is to stir up your heart through remembrance by looking backwards in the book of Colossians and reminding you of some of the precious truths that we have already spent time looking at that kind of develop this idea of the fullness that we already have in Christ. So we, this morning, are going to draw four important results of embracing our completeness in Christ. Number one, since you are complete in Christ, you can be confident in the future hope of heaven. Look at chapter 1 and verse 3. The apostle says, we always thank God. Whenever we pray for you, we thank God for you. Why? Because we've heard of your faith, your love, and your hope. We heard of your faith in Christ Jesus, verse 4. And out of that faith in Christ Jesus flowed love. Faith there means to put your full weight upon. And so we take the weight of our spiritual burdens. We take the weight of our spiritual guilt from all of the ways that we have sinned against God. And we place that weight upon Jesus. Whose shoulders alone are strong enough to bear the weight. Out of that faith flows a love that we have for other believers. And flowing out of that then also flows a hope. 
because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Faith, hope, and love always tied together in the New Testament. This hope is a confidence that rests in the promise of God. So through our union with Christ, we are already seated in the heavenly places. So the hope of heaven is the confidence that upon death, we will be where our Savior already is because we are already in union with him. And so when we leave this earth, we go to be where he is because we are already united with him. We will be absent from this body of death and present with the Lord. And Jesus' prayer for us in John 17, 24 will be answered. At the moment of our death, Jesus prayed, Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am. When a Christian dies, when a man or a woman or a child dies in Jesus, that is that they know Christ, the prayer of Jesus is answered. Because he prayed, Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. What an incredible comfort this is for those of us who have loved ones in Christ who have died or are perhaps in the process of dying. That if they know Jesus, that the very prayer of Jesus is being answered. That they would be with him where he is already. What a great comfort that is. When we know the Lord Jesus, the peace of knowing him swallows up the fear of death. Because through our death, his work in us is being made complete and he brings us to his forever home that he shares with us. That's the first result. Secondly, since you are complete in Christ, you can be competent for fruitful service and growth to maturity. Keep going in chapter 1, verse 9, Paul says, And so from the day we heard, heard what? Well, heard about their faith, love, and hope, which was produced by the gospel. It was the fruit of the work of the gospel in them. From the day they heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will, in all spiritual wisdom and understanding why. Why was Paul desirous that they would grow in spiritual knowledge, spiritual understanding, understanding of the knowledge of God and his will and his wisdom so that they would walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, 
and increasing in the knowledge of God. When we embrace the reality that we are complete in Christ, that leads to fruitful service for Christ and ongoing growth in him towards spiritual maturity. The word translated in in 2 verse 10 to speak of the being filled was used of a ship totally fitted and ready for a voyage. So in our completeness in Christ, we are fit, we are equipped, we are prepared, we are ready for a voyage. Paul explains it this way in Ephesians 4, that he has given spiritually gifted people to the church to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the, here's the word, the fullness of Christ. We are being equipped by the Holy Spirit, and in union with Christ, we are able to bear fruit for him, just as he says in John 15, that when we abide in him and he abides in us, we bear fruit. But apart from him, we can do nothing. Being filled to full in Christ, you can grow to maturity, which results in increasing usefulness to God. Our problem is we want the latter before the former. We want to be useful to God first rather than God working in us the slow work of sanctification to bring us to maturity. Listen to me. Who we are becoming is always more important than what we are doing. Who we are becoming in Christ is always more important than what we are doing for Christ. Remember that. Because who you are becoming in Christ will naturally result in the overflow of fruitfulness. But if you just spend your whole Christian life just giving everything you possibly have to do, 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 do without resting in what has already been done, 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 done for you and understanding who you are in Christ, your Christian life will become all about your own performance for God rather than the natural overflow of what the Spirit of God is doing in your heart. You know what some of us have a problem with? We have a problem with slowing down long enough to let God do the deeper work in the heart, which will then result in the broader usefulness in God's church. Who we are becoming in Christ is always more important than what we are doing for Christ. The one leads to the other. 
recognize you are complete in Christ and therefore you are being equipped to serve him. You are being equipped to grow in spiritual maturity. Thirdly, since you are complete in Christ, you can be content in your acceptance before God. Look at verses 11 through 14. I know I've brought us back to this verse quite a few times already, but I just can't get over it because it is life transforming. For someone like me who was raised in a works religion whereby I was taught that I could earn myself my way to heaven. I could make myself righteous. I could make myself acceptable to God. And knowing because of the convicting power of the Holy Spirit and the guilt in my conscience, that could not possibly be true. That this truth is just so freeing. Notice, Paul is still praying. He's still saying, this is how I pray for you, that you'll be strengthened, verse 11, with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. It is he who has delivered us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Whether you were raised in a works religion like I was or not, we have inside of us this natural bent to try to prove ourselves to God, to earn our salvation. It's a natural part of the sin nature. And yet, what is Paul teaching us here? He is teaching us that God is the one who alone can qualify us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. His grace alone moved him to adopt us into his family. The Son of God had already accomplished the work of redemption on our behalf. He, he came to this earth to start and complete that work of redemption. It was all of his work, none of our work. We rest in his work. And yet how often we think if we could just be good enough. Many of us were, you know, raised with the, the Santa Claus mindset of if we're good, then we get blessed. If we're naughty, then we don't. And I love what Sinclair Ferguson says in his book on the coming of Christ. He says, God is not like a department store Santa Claus asking through his white beard, have you been good this year? As though we need to qualify for the Christmas gift. Yet all too often, that's how we think of him. No, the God who gave his only son to be born and die for us in order to replace the guilt and shame of our sin with peace is not a glorified Father Christmas. 
He is a gracious savior. His salvation is not given to me because I have done well. It comes when I have sinned and know that I have displeased him and know that I need a savior. Embracing our full acceptance by God in Christ frees us up to be satisfied then with whatever season of life we find ourselves in because contentment flows from our heart's ability to rest in Christ and what he's done for us. Commercials and internet pop-up ads serve one purpose, and that is to cultivate a spirit of discontent. Oh, if only I had that, then, then my heart would be satisfied, and I would be at rest. Kids, you might think, oh, if only I had that new gaming system, or, or that new remote control car, or camera, or tablet, then I would be totally happy. I was like you, kids, believe it or not. There was a day that I was your age, a long, long time ago. I remember that. Mom and Dad, I just wanted this for Christmas. And then three days after Christmas. You know what I would also really like? (laughs) Because it didn't fill me to fullness. And adults, kids aren't the only ones. We might think, if only I had that new kitchen appliance. You know that new one that, that cooks all of my meals and does the dishes and sweeps the floor? After I'm done, if I just had that new outfit, if I just had that new smartphone that does 10 more things than my current one does, if I just had that, then I would be content. But it's not the advertiser's fault, really. Discontentment starts in our heart. It's already in our hearts. It's ingrained in our fallen nature. We all struggle with discontent to some degree and we all play the comparison game. And it's not always material things that get us. Sometimes we, we covet a different situation. We compare our life to another person's life and we get discontent. We think that their situation is somehow better than mine and easier and happier or whatever because the grass is always greener on the other side of the fence. And we spend our lives chasing, chasing, chasing what we think will bring full contentment and joy. So let me tell you this morning, regardless of what your discontent looks like or what my discontent looks like, the only thing that is ever going to bring us to the fullness of satisfaction and joy is a thriving relationship with Jesus.
That's the only thing. That's what Paul confesses in Philippians in chapter 4 when he says, Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. In other words, I know how to live when it's a lean year. And I know how to abound. I know how to live when it's a bounteous, plentiful year. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. And here's the secret. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. What was the secret of Paul's contentment? The secret was the strength that he received from the Lord Jesus, whom he had a living, thriving relationship with. He actually tells us this in the chapter before, in Philippians 3, as part of his testimony when he says, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. See, when we cultivate our relationship with Jesus, contentment is one of the things that grows out of that. When our heart finds satisfaction in Christ, only then can we rest. Only then will we stop chasing all of the things that we think will somehow cause us to be accepted more fully by God. We have to realize in Christ we are already totally, fully accepted because of his work, not ours. Because he has gifted us his righteousness, not because we have to earn our own. I love the way Jerry Bridges says this. He says, the realization that my daily relationship with God is based on the infinite merit of Christ instead of on my own performance is a very freeing and joyous experience. But it is not meant to be a one-time experience. The truth needs to be reaffirmed daily. Daily. We must reaffirm this truth that we do not stand before God in any righteousness of our own, but fully in the righteousness of Jesus Christ, who has promised to give it to those who will repent and believe in him, to those who will come to him with empty-handed faith, nothing to offer to him except truckloads of sin that need to be forgiven. To receive grace, to receive mercy from this God of mercy and grace. So the contentment that we need, that I need, that you need, it grows from this security of knowing that God the Father has already qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. We don't qualify ourselves. And then finally, number four, since you are complete in Christ, you can be convinced of the fullness of wisdom in Christ. Look at chapter two. 
He wants their hearts to be encouraged. Verse 2, to be knit together in love. To reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding. And the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. In whom, verse 3, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. The word hidden means stored up. In whom, in Christ, this, this one who is the fullness of deity in bodily form. In him is stored up all of the wisdom that you and I need in this life. Wisdom is, is understanding how various biblical truths all work together to lead us to a Christ-glorifying life. We are so complete in Christ that we do not need to look anywhere else. The storehouse of wisdom and knowledge has already been opened for us in Christ. Everything we need to know, everything that we need for a fruitful relationship with God and everything we need to know to walk wisely and faithfully follow the Lord in submissive faith is found in Christ. Do not look elsewhere. It will disappoint you and lead you astray. And that wisdom of Christ, then, Paul says, naturally should lead to a walk of submissive faith in his lordship, which we spent a whole morning thinking about in chapter 2 and verses 6 and 7. As you received Christ the Lord, so walk in him. How did we receive Christ Jesus the Lord? By faith. How do we continue to walk in him? By faith. Rooted, built up in him, established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. This submissive faith that God requires when we come to the Lord Jesus is that same submissive faith that is to characterize our lives throughout our Christian life so that we grow in increasing obedience and humble submission to his lordship over every single nook and cranny of our lives. It already belongs to him he is worthy. The human heart has only enough real estate for one throne. Either your throne or the throne of Christ. Our sin nature leads us to believe that our life will be easier and more fulfilling if we maintain absolute control over it. And yet nothing could be further from the truth. There is nothing more freeing than in submissive faith and humble obedience to God, letting go of that control freak in all of us. 
and resting in who he already is for us. True peace. True peace, the peace that will govern your mind and your heart in both life and death only comes from knowing Christ. It comes from nowhere else. True joy flows from a growing relationship with Christ. True contentment is not fleeting. It is steady and constant in lean years and in years of plenty. And true wisdom is found only in Christ and his word. Do you know this Jesus? Do you know this Jesus? I don't mean do you know about this Jesus. I mean do you know him? Do you have a relationship with him? Through submissive, empty-handed faith, recognizing that you have no righteousness of your own to offer to God, but that you come as a spiritually bankrupt sinner in desperate need of God's mercy. And you say, Lord, I believe. I believe that I need Jesus Christ, the God-man who came to this earth to die in my place upon that cross and to be risen from the dead three days later to give me eternal life, to give me forgiveness, redemption, to bring me into a relationship with God that will lead to peace and joy. The lyrics to one of our well-known Christmas carols says it best. Come, thou long-expected Jesus, born to set thy people free from our fears and sins. Release us. Let us find our rest in thee. Let us find our rest in you. Lord Jesus. True rest, soul rest, is only possible if you truly know Christ and you are learning to rely fully upon him. A dear friend of mine who is a father of multiple children with disabilities wrote a beautiful blog this week. I'm just going to read part of it to you this morning. He says, I have probably sung O Holy Night since I was able to talk, but I never noticed these lines in the song until this year. The King of Kings lay thus in lowly manger, in all our trials, born to be our friend. He knows our need to our weakness is no stranger. The darkness of night is pushed back by Christ, who is the light of the world, he says. We have light when we place our trust in him as our savior. The darkness of sin in our lives, the fears, the panic of looking ahead are eclipsed by the light of Christ. These lines remind me of who Jesus is, fully God and fully man. He identified with those he came to save. He was born in a lowly manger, the creator of this world. 
He died a sinner's death even though he had no sin. No political leader would bear with our trials, walking with us through them, shouldering the burden. But the Son of God does. Jesus Christ knows how we feel. He gets us, and yet he is so different from us. Christmas time is fun and exciting, but also there are moments of grief and heartbreak. Christ is the friend of sinners. He knows what it's like to be weak. He is with us in our darkest moments, and we can rest under his loving care. My friend, if you know the Lord Jesus Christ, you already stand in spiritual completeness in him. Now, join me in praying that we would learn to rest in that. Rest in who we are in Jesus. And my friend, if you're here this morning and you do not know Jesus in this way, let me just tell you that he is a savior who delights to receive any and all kinds of sinners, no matter what your life has been like up to this very day. You can come to him and he will shoulder your burden and he will give you new life. Father, Thank you for lifting up the Lord Jesus for us this morning. This glorious Savior, the eternal Son of God who broke into human history to become a man, to live a sinless life, obeying your law in every way and then taking that life to the cross and offering himself as the one and only fully acceptable blood offering for our sins, that he was put to death for us in our place, but gloriously raised to new life, and now is ascended and sits at your right hand in the fullness of his authority. Lord, for those of us here today who know Jesus, oh, we pray, teach us to, to lean on who we are already in him. We are full. We are filled to full, complete in Christ. And Father, if there's anyone here today man, woman, boy, or girl, who has not yet come to that place of coming to you with empty-handed faith, recognizing their desperate need for the Savior. May this be the day for them. May today be the day of salvation. Holy Spirit, work in each of our hearts the way you only and alone know what, what we need, how we need you to work. Do that work so that the name of Jesus will be lifted up in our lives, we pray in his name. Amen.